0: This is the Scott Seidenberg Show on 98.7 ESPN. Jihad Ward of the Giants has his eyes on the prize. And he's right. Giants are still in a good spot here. Seven and four, they're okay. Giants are still okay. They have six games left, win two of them, and I think they're in the playoffs. Win three of them, they're definitely in the playoffs. 800-919-3776. 800-919-3776. Scott Seidenberg here with you on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, end of the first quarter up in Minnesota. And the Patriots with a 10-7 lead over the Vikings. The Patriots field goal coming after a Kirk Cousins interception. Kirk Cousins in prime time. That is just, wow. It's amazing. It's amazing when you think about... How this guy performs so well at 1 o'clock start times. 1 o'clock Eastern time start times. Kirk Cousins is one of the better quarterbacks that you're going to find. But when it's not 1 o'clock, when especially in primetime, he's just not the same guy. Cousins in primetime, ten and eighteen straight up, eleven and seventeen against the spread, uh, and another interception here. He just does not perform well. There was a, there was stories about this, you know, from a couple of years ago because this has been a narrative that has been going on now for quite some time with Kirk Cousins, and the narrative has been that he's such a regimented guy. He loves his routine and he follows his routine, like literally to, to the letter. And so, whenever that routine is thrown off, and that could be whether it's a primetime game or a 425, 405 start, whatever it is, anytime that routine for Kirk Cousins is thrown off, he does not perform well. And we have seen it just countless times from from this guy. And it's showing again here tonight. Kirk Cousins in primetime, not good. He had the primetime game against the Eagles earlier in the year, three interceptions. That was their only loss until a 425 start last week against the Cowboys, where he was terrible. They had that game. Didn't they play in the the, the London game this year, right? That was certainly his schedule thrown off a bit. Cousins wasn't great. Vikings escape with a 28-25 win in that game. And then here they are tonight. And Cousins already. He's 8 of 10, 68 yards. Does have the touchdown to Justin Jefferson. But has thrown the interception that has led now to the Patriots taking a 10-7 lead. So that's what's going on right now up in Minnesota. We'll keep you updated on what's going on there. Also, uh, coming up a little bit later, we'll take a look at the Sunday slate in the NFL. But the Giants lose to the Cowboys earlier here on Thanksgiving 28-20, as the Giants do get a backdoor cover. So congratulations to anybody that took plus 10 with the Giants. The uh, over does hit as well. So people like points, the over hit, and the Bills Lions game. Actually, was it fifty? Yeah, fifty, uh, yeah, fifty no, fifty-three, it didn't hit. So I think the over was like fifty-four or fifty-five. Let me see what the total was. Total in that game was fifty-five. It did not hit. And the Bills did not cover. So lot both underdogs covering here. First two games of Thanksgiving. And right now the underdog and the Patriots is beating the Minnesota Vikings. I wanna quickly talk about what we saw last night. In the Devils' game against the Maple Leafs, I, I I wanted to mention this because I'm a big hockey guy. Uh, it's my it's it's the number one sport that I bet on the most, and I watch a lot of hockey. and And full disclosure, I bet against the Devils last night. You booing me for that? Listen, they weren't going to win. They weren't going to never lose again. They had a 13 game winning streak, and over the course of the 13 games, they had only played one team that according to all advanced analytical metrics, ranked in the top 10 in the NHL, and that was the Toronto Maple Leafs, where they beat them in overtime 3-2 last Thursday, and it was a bad offensive zone or defensive zone giveaway that led to the Nico Heischer goal that gave the Devils the lead. So who knows, that game could have turned out differently. But last night, Toronto takes a 2-0 lead. Devils had not one, not two, but three goals overturned and after the third one was overturned in the third period the prudential center went absolutely bonkers at that point fans started throwing stuff onto the ice and the game had to be paused the maple leafs went back to the dressing room to you know for their own player safety and honestly it, it, it was disgusting to watch i understand fans frustration trust me i get frustrated you know you should see how I act at a Rangers game well maybe don't. don't' you know it's it's not nice but that that's no way that's no way to behave at a sporting event guys come on we're better than that you know people want to talk about fan bases getting bad reputations that that was gross last night what I saw at the Prudential Center bad calls are bad calls and and frankly I don't even think they were bad calls because the video, the video replay's there for a reason, to get the calls right. And so if the call on the ice was that the puck was kicked into the net using a kicking motion, and the replay showed a kicking motion, guess what? That's the call. I'm never going to get mad when replay confirms a call. I'll get mad, and it's very rare. Like, how many times... Are you watching a replay? Maybe it's in the NFL. How many times are you watching a replay where you're just confused on how they could actually call that? It's it's It does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. It does happen. Sometimes I'm watching a football game, a college football game especially, uh, and, and I'm watching a game and I see them go to replay and I'm like, ah, that's clearly incomplete. And they call it a catch. or Or that's clearly a catch and they call it incomplete. And, I, and then the announcers are baffled no one knows and then they have to give you the whole oh well they're looking at more angles than we are you know so it does happen but as far as you know what what I'm you know what we're seeing here from you know what, what happened last night that that was there's no place there's no place for that there's no place for that 800 919 3776 can hit me up on Twitter at scottsonair, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. That was what happened in the Devils game last night. We move on from that. No NHL, obviously, today for Thanksgiving. Tomorrow on Friday, Devils will take on the Sabres in Buffalo as they look to uh, bounce back after their first loss in what seems like forever. The Islanders are in Columbus. They'll take on the Blue Jackets. And the Rangers, they don't play again until Saturday uh, at the Garden. They will take on the Oilers. Tough Rangers loss yesterday. John Gibson, who absolutely stinks as a goalie, made some incredible, incredible saves. And he stopped 41 shots, and the Rangers hit six posts. They played well. And that's now... You know, three games in a row, the Rangers have played well. Yeah, the record doesn't show it, but hey, you know, this uh man, this team is this team's playing well. And and you gotta feel good about it. You gotta feel good. Hockey in, in the New York metropolitan area looking real good these days. Rangers playing well. Devils by all metrics are one of the top teams in the league. Islanders fighting, Ilya Sorokin, one of the best goaltenders in the league right now. There's a reason to be pumped up for hockey. Basketball? Eh, Maybe not so much. Knicks uh, tomorrow got some questionable players. Uh, They'll take on the Blazers. Derrick Rose, Cam Reddish, Mitchell Robinson, all questionable for the game against the Blazers. So uh, we'll see what the Knicks are able to do tomorrow against Portland. And I guess we got to get into this. Aaron Judge. Will he be a Yankee? Will that be the only move the Yankees make? And do the Mets sell out? And I don't want to, it's not sell out, but do they spend out for Jacob deGrom's return? And do they need to? 800-919-3776. Scott Seidenberg here with you on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Scott Seidenberg Show on 98.7 ESPN. Patriots and Vikings are tied at 10. Pats just got a big play. They're down to midfield. Yeah, stop scoring. I have the under in this game. <laughs> There's just too many points right now. I don't like this. About eight minutes to go in the first half. Keep you updated what's going on between the Pats and the Vikings who don't really feel like playing defense. It seems like every play goes for double-digit yardage in this game. I wanted to update what's going on with Aaron Judge and, and and Jacob DeGrom and really the Mets and Yankees and their pursuits here in free agency. So the latest with Aaron Judge is he had a, a, a two-day meeting, if you will, in San Francisco with the Giants. Aaron Judge is from the Bay Area. This would be his hometown team to sign with. And, you know, it makes sense from a money perspective. The Giants certainly have a ton of money. makes sense from a a, a lifestyle possibility. I just – it's hard seeing players – that have become a face of a franchise, then go play for another team? And also, how does that player now, yes, of course he's going to be accepted, but does he become the face of the team? And Aaron Judge is, he's not that young of a guy. You know, we're talking about Aaron Judge, if he signs a big deal, and this is why the Yankees might be hesitant to add the years, you know, Judge is 30 years old. It'll be 31 when the season starts. Are you going to pay 39-year-old Aaron Judge $40 million a year in eight years from now? Certainly wouldn't make sense to do that. So I can understand why, you know, the Yankees were hesitant to add the years and, you know, Judge is trying to get paid. He's, he's, he deserves to get paid. But he met with the Giants in San Francisco, uh, met with some players. He also was was contacted by Steph Curry. As uh, the Giants pulling out all the stops here on the free agency tour for Aaron Judge. Where else could he possibly sign? I I honestly think that, and I don't think that the, uh, the, 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 the Dodgers are a big threat. I honestly think that the Giants are the biggest threat to the Yankees. If I had to make a bet right now, I'd say the Judge is back with the Yankees. Because I don't think it's a decision the Yankees can... I don't think it's a loss the Yankees can afford to have. Let's just put it that way. I really don't. I think the Yankees need to retain Aaron Judge. They need to. And so when push comes to shove, when the chips are all on the table, I think the Yankees will call the bluff or not bluff, but, you know, they'll they'll call, they'll call the pot. And they'll be all in on Aaron Judge. And he'll be back in pinstripes. But I don't blame Aaron Judge for doing a free agent tour. Why not? Go, this is the first time he's able to do this. Go out and get do, be wine and dined. Private jets flying cross country. Go to San Francisco. Have a good time. Have some dinners. Meet with some players. Meet with Steph Curry. Enjoy yourself. You deserve it. But again, I think his best landing spot is with the Yankees. And the Yankees cannot afford to let him sign elsewhere. The Mets, on the other hand, it's very interesting what is likely to happen with Jacob DeGrom. And I'll say this, as great of a pitcher as this guy is, and we know, there's there's times when you could argue he is the best pitcher in the world. But the injuries have to be a real concern. What also has to be a concern is, you know, there's there's been times where the Mets just don't, they don't score for them. <laughs> they don't, the, the win-loss record's not there. You know, I used to talk about it all the time that in, in betting on baseball, I would bet against the Mets when Jacob DeGrom pitched because for a two, three-year span, when Jacob DeGrom was winning back-to-back Cy Young Awards, the Mets actually had a losing record in games that he started. Was a large part of that because of the bullpen? Sure. But a big part of it was also the the offensive production just wasn't there. But the Mets are a different team now. The Mets have offensive production. The Mets have a lineup that you can stack up with the better teams in the National League, with the better teams in all of Major League Baseball. And you could be proud of that lineup. And yes, do you, the pitching is what you need in the postseason. They already have Scherzer. And how did it work out this postseason? I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is do the Mets really need to bring back Jacob DeGrom to spend the money on Jacob DeGrom or Could the Mets use the same money that they were going to sign Jacob DeGrom with and use it other places? Could the Mets still bring in a a big-name starting pitcher like a Carlos Rodon? And could the Mets go out there and, you know, go out there and, and sign somebody else? To add to the team. Yeah. Absolutely. You could save the money that you were going to spend. And I know Steve Cohen's not worried about money. No one's worried about money. But let's be honest. Teams are worried about money. But the Mets can go out and they could forget about the Grom. They could bring in Carlos Rodan. They could bring in a you know, re sign Chris Bassett, they could bring in another uh maybe a relief pitcher. And you could turn one player into two, maybe three, that satisfy needs for your organization. And does it hurt you that much? No. Because, let's be honest, DeGrom barely pitched this year. He went five and four. The Mets put together this incredible first half without him stepping foot on the field. And they'll be just fine if they don't have him next year as well. And that's that's the honest truth. I know Mets fans would love to have him back. You always love your guy, especially when he's one of the best at what he does. But I think they'll be just fine without him, especially if, like I said, they utilize the same money that they were going to use for him and go out and, repl- and, and you get two or three players. That would be, to me, the best case scenario for the New York Mets. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on air. It's S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. A couple of tweets coming in, uh, talking about the football, um, talking about the Giants and their chances to get to the postseason, as well as the Jets and what they do with Zach Wilson moving forward. Look, I already laid it out, and I'll bring it up again. The plans that I have at the quarterback position – for both the Jets and the Giants moving forward, and they're not so different between the two teams. I'll explain coming up next. Scott Seidenberg here with you on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Scott Seidenberg Show on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, Vikings have the ball. Two-minute warning. They're at the goal line, though. They're about to score a touchdown. It'll be 17-13, and then barring a... uh, Patriots score at the end of the half. That should be the final. That should be the halftime score here. That's 30 would be 30 points scored in the first half, which not good for anybody that had the under. What was it? 42, right? 42 and a half. I mean, that's just think about that. This game had the lowest total of the day coming in between all of these games. Total was 41 and a half at close between both the Vikings and and the Patriots live total is now 52 and a half. And it's going to be higher after the Vikings score here. Think about that. We had the first game. 54 and a half was the total. The Giants Cowboys game was 45 and a half. And this game was 41 and a half. And this is the game that will feature the most points out of all of them. Well, if the first half is any indicator. And now how fluky is what we're seeing here between the Vikings and the Patriots? Well, the Patriots scored a touchdown on their opening drive. Not only was it their first opening drive touchdown of the season, which now leaves only the Jets and the Panthers as the only teams in the NFL without an opening drive touchdown, but it was also the Patriots' first touchdown in the first quarter this entire season. That's how rare that score was for the Patriots. 800-919-3776, 800-919-3776, always on Twitter, at Scott's on Air. S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Speaking of those Jets, they make the switch at quarterback, Zach Wilson benched, it's going to be Mike White. Do I think Mike White's better than Zach Wilson? I think anybody's better than Zach Wilson. They had to make this decision. They absolutely had to make this decision. And it has more to do with the team that it has to do with Zach Wilson individually. And I get it. That you want to talk about, oh, well, Zach gets to hit the reset button and this is his chance to get better. How's he going to get better, honestly? Working with the scout team? Doing the Jets flight school? Staying after practice and getting some extra work? Nah, 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 nah. What this move does is it... Gets the rest of the players on the Jets, all the players on defense, all the skill position players on offense. It gives them a renewed energy because they have been frustrated verbally, as we heard. You know the quote from Garrett Wilson after the game last week. Uh, we had the tweet that was that Sauce Gardner liked on Twitter. Where it was, you know, talking about the move or whatnot, or 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 Zach Wilson in his post game comments, there was the just the, the 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 physical displays of frustration that we've seen from this team because of the way that the quarterback has played. The Jets team is good. Jets have a really good defense. Jets have players on offense that make plays. Yeah, they're hurt by losing Brees Hall. It happens. Injuries happen in the NFL. But the quarterback's been giving you absolutely nothing. And just think about it. The defense goes out there. They hold the New England Patriots out of the end zone the entire game. You know, yeah, fluke punt return, whatever. You hold them out of the end zone. And then your offense doesn't do anything. How does that got? Imagine being a defensive player on the Jets. How would you feel? You know, the NFL is a dangerous game. Football's a dangerous game. These guys are out there every single play putting their lives on the line. And at some point, if they're on a team thats that is, they're not seeing the same type of effort or, and I'm not saying Zach Wilson's not trying, but they're not seeing the results from any other part of the team, how much longer are they going to keep trying? How much longer are the Jets defensive players? Pride only takes you so far. How much longer are the Jets players going to put their lives on the line when it's for a lost cause? And so by benching Zach Wilson, by making the switch to Mike White, it's, it's not just about getting better play from the quarterback position, which they do need. But it's also about telling the rest of the team, hey guys, we hear you, we see you, we believe in you, and we're going to change things up to give ourselves a better chance to do right by you, to be better for you. The question is now, where do the Jets go from here? Because everyone's saying that Zach Wilson has a chance to come back and play again this year. I think if you're going back to Zach Wilson... That means it's a disaster scenario and the season's lost. Well, think about it, right? Because if the Jets are winning football games, then you obviously stay with Mike White at quarterback. And if you're losing football games and you go back to Zach Wilson, well, at that point, what's your record? How bad have you played? And what's the outcome going to be for this year? six and four might turn out to be six and 11. I don't want to go that far, but take a look at it. The Jets have a soft landing spot this week against the Bears. A Bears team that I don't think will have Justin Fields at quarterback. Justin Fields came out, said he had the separated shoulder. And if you're the Chicago Bears, there's no reason. To play Justin Fields in this game. No reason. He has shown you, unlike Zach Wilson, he has shown you over the past several weeks that he is, in fact, the quarterback of the future. Because there was a time, and it was last year and it was the beginning part of this year, where Justin Fields was playing as badly as Zach Wilson was playing. And it was they were the worst passing team in the NFL. And you look at Justin Fields and you're like, maybe this guy is not ready for the NFL. I don't know. But then they had a commitment to the running game. Justin Fields starts running the ball more. And now he's as dynamic as they come. He has shown you what he can, what he is capable of, what he can do. And so if you're the the Chicago bears, there's no reason to play him. There's, This is a lost season for you. There's no reason to play him. So the Jets have a soft landing spot. They should pick up a win against Trevor Simeon and this Bears team. Should. If they don't, well, then there's an issue. If Mike White's terrible, well, then there's an issue. But he can't be that bad. Why? Because Zach Zach Wilson, statistically, was the worst in the league. You can't get much worse than the worst in the league. 800-919-3776. Scott Sadenberg here with you. 98.7 ESPN. When you look at what the Jets need to do now moving forward, you see, to me, this is so interesting because they still have it, Zach Wilson, under under control. He's still on his rookie deal. I'm not talking about the 50-year option. He's only going to be going into year three. And so... What do you do moving forward with this kid? To me, the answer is he is not guaranteed the starting job. Can't guarantee him the starting job. You can have him compete for the starting job, but he is not guaranteed the starting job next year. And so, okay, you're the Jets. Who's your starting quarterback? Who's your other options? Well, I think there are veterans out there that you can bring in, veteran free agents, that you can bring in. That are serviceable enough starters that can not mess up games for you. And there are and, and they can compete with Zach Wilson. And if Zach Wilson beats him out, then you start Zach Wilson. I'm not, like the ultimate prize for me would be Jimmy Garoppolo. I've wanted Jimmy Garoppolo as the Jets quarterback since before the season. When the 49ers were talking about trading Jimmy G, that's that's who I wanted. Because it made the most sense. He had familiarity with Robert Sala, and he had familiarity with Mike LaFleur. Uh, he knows the Mike LaFleur offense, obviously, from running it in San Francisco. Seamless transition. But you're not Jimmy Garoppolo will be the ultimate prize. If you, you sign Jimmy G, as your starting quarterback. If not, well, then you look for veterans that can compete for the starting job, and that if you have to start them for a few games or a half a season or even a full season, you're okay with it. Guys like Jacoby Brissett, guys like uh Andy Dalton. Heck, Geno Smith will be a free agent, and probably not though, because Seattle will pay him. Geno Smith has been playing tremendous football this year. Just goes to show you unlock a guy and you know see what you know, the potential could be there. And and you know, there's probably there's still potential probably with Zach Wilson. There's a reason why he was drafted so highly, just hasn't shown it. And I don't think he was ready to start when he came into the league. And I think last year, the Jets failed him. I really did. I really do believe that. Because they did not put him in a position to succeed. They didn't have the pieces around him. But this year is a much different story. This is a good Jets roster. They drafted really well. They have players that are contributing at a high level. Sauce Gardner is the defensive player of the year. Had Brees Hall not gotten hurt, he'd be the offensive rookie of the year. Defensive Rookie of the Year, I meant. Not Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive Rookie of the Year for Sauce Gardner. Brees Hall was on, on a path to be the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Offensive line is playing well. But the quarterback is letting the team down, and that's why they had to make a switch. And as far as the Giants are concerned, the Giants, they don't need to make a switch at quarterback. That's not their issue. But they have to make a decision about their quarterback a decision that they decided against at the beginning of this year to not pick up Daniel Jones's fifth-year option. But now they're going to have to make a decision on what to do with him moving forward. They're not going to franchise him because you're not paying him 30-something, $40 million a year. No, sir. But do you give him a multi-year deal? Do you commit to Daniel Jones as your quarterback moving forward? That's a question that the Giants are going to have to answer. And maybe the answer is the same answer as the Jets. You sign Daniel Jones to a one, two-year deal. And then you bring in a veteran to compete with him. I mean, look, they have one in Tyrod Taylor. But maybe that's the way the Giants go about it next year. Daniel Jones is playing okay. He's arguably having his best season. And the Giants, despite the loss, are still in a great position to make the playoffs. But that's a decision that they're going to have to make and one that hopefully they don't regret not picking up his 5th year option because, and I, I don't know what the finances would be about it, but it would have to depend on how much they would be making or how much he would be making as opposed to what it would cost for them to sign him to a, a multi-year deal. 800-919-3776. Scott Sadenberg here with you on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Scott Seidenberg
1: Show on 98.7 ESPN.
0: Vikings and Patriots are knotted at 16 apiece. High scoring first half. Much more high scoring than I actually like. 800-919-3776. Let's go to the phones here on a Thanksgiving evening. Ray is calling from Long Island. What's going on, Ray? Happy Thanksgiving.
1: Happy Thanksgiving, Scott. Thank you for getting, getting me on your show. I appreciate it. I love your breakdown about the Jets. Very good points you, you, you shouted out earlier. Uh, but I want to talk about the Mets, right? Um, I'm a firm believer we need to keep DeGrom. Reason being is he's an ace. He's a monster there for the Mets. He showed credibility. A lot of teams are going to set their scouting reports on the Mets, especially when they face um, the Mets. One of the things I really enjoyed when I was listening to Trey Turner talk about the Mets, he said, I'm scared to face um, Turner. And that's the exact same thing everybody in, the Major, League, in Major League Baseball talks about. I want, the, I want the grown back, no matter what. I know it's going to cost us a couple of players, but it's only going to cost us an extra $8 million a year. That's it. Then we're going to have to readjust some of our salaries and try to pick up some other players, but we need the grind. In order to win a, a championship, we need to grind. Oh no, roster. You
0: know, Ray, Ray, I felt I felt that way this year though, Ray, and I appreciate the phone call. Happy Thanksgiving. I felt that way this year. You know, people asked me who I was picking to win the World Series and you know, at different points of the year, and I, I said it was the Mets because I thought that the rotation was the reason. I thought that having DeGrom and Scherzer bat one and two in a postseason series would be the difference. And It wasn't (laughs) like it was disappointing. They had the chance, sure, but for all for as great as the regular season was, right, and and for as fantastic as those guys pitched, you know, the Mets lost the game that Scherzer pitched in the playoffs. Yes, they got the win in Game Two with Degrom, which is a very important win, Um, but it's not like Degrom. You know, he threw six innings of two-run ball. I mean, the Mets, they had a 3-2 lead when he left the game. It was a one-run game. It wasn't like it was, it wasn't like he threw six shutout innings and the Mets were up 3-0. And if you can have your choice of, obviously, you know, if it's just DeGrom, it's the only piece you get. Okay. Scherzer, DeGrom, you still have your incredible one-two, you know, Tyler McGill coming back from injury. Okay. But what if the Mets, instead of getting DeGrom, that's the only point I'm trying to make. What if instead of getting DeGrom, who, frankly, as great as he is, it hasn't translated into the success. You had such an incredible first half of the year this year without him because you had other guys stepping up. What if the Mets rotation next year was Max Scherzer, Carlos Rodon, um, Excuse me, you know, Bassett back, Carrasco, McGill. Maybe, another, you know, you throw in another free agent arm that's out there. And then what if you add to to your lineup by getting a free agent player that you couldn't have gotten without DeGrom? Look, the reason why DeGrom was so necessary, and this is what I was trying to say before. There was a time where he's was the best pitcher on the planet, back-to-back Cy Young Awards. But the Mets actually had a losing record in his games. And the reason being is because they didn't score for him. The Mets offense is no longer a problem. The Mets have a lineup that can stack up with anybody in Major League Baseball. You are no longer worried about the Mets offensive production this year. You're not worried about it at all so you don't need to spend all that money on one player in Jacob deGrom what you can do is you can take that same money especially if deGrom's going to go out there and sign for the big money somewhere else he wants to go to Texas let him go to Texas let's see how he does let's see how he does in a hitters ballpark but you could the Mets can take that same amount of money and go out there and sign two three players Two starting pitchers and a reliever, maybe. Just think that might be a better allocation of your funds. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Always on Twitter at Scotts On Air. S C O T T S O N A I R let's take a look real quick at the uh, Sunday slate in the NFL, the landscape, uh, what's going to happen here in week number 12. So the bucks take on the Browns, Tampa three and a half point favorite going to be some rain in the forecast in Cleveland. Uh, The total is low. Both teams are going to run the ball. I I have concerns about the Cleveland Browns. I really do. This is the last game. First off, it's a dead season. They're three and seven. Like the seat, they're not making the playoffs. But it's also a the, the final game before Deshaun Watson comes back. He's been practicing with the team. So how does the team now respond? How does Jacoby Brissett respond? Where he knows that this is the last game for him as the starting quarterback of the team. Meanwhile, the Bucks are right in the thick of this division race, even at 5-5. Five and five. Bengals take on the Titans. Cincinnati uh, about a field goal favorite here. And all Cincinnati does is cover. It's all they do. They win games. They cover games. They have a great ATS record, especially with Joe Burrow at quarterback. But the Titans as home dogs and and as underdogs under Mike Vrabel have just been incredible. This, you know, Jamar Chase has been practicing. We'll see if he plays. But uh, the Titans are so attractive as an underdog under Mike Vrabel. It's, It's hard to ignore just how good this team plays. But there's also something interesting, an interesting trend when it comes to this game. So last week you had the Titans win a game outright as an underdog. And normally you would think that's the next game would be a letdown spot for a team that's coming off of a game in which they won outright as an underdog. While that might be true, it ain't true for Mike Vrabel and the Titans because the Titans in that spot, in that role, after winning as an underdog and then coming back, They're 14-7 and ATS the following week. So Mike Vrabel, one of the best coaches out there in the NFL. Dolphins, a massive favorite over the Texans. The Texans have quit. Their season's over. They're switching to Kyle Allen at quarterback. So Davis Mills getting the the Zach Wilson treatment. Kyle Allen will be at quarterback for the Texans. And Tua and that offense should have no problems scoring points. Uh, uh mentioned the Bears, not with Justin Fields, likely hasn't been announced yet, but I can't see him playing. Jets are six-point favorites over the Bears. That's the only reason. You know, it's not it's not the spread moving because of Mike White. The spread's moving because Justin Fields has a separated shoulder and probably won't play in this game. Falcons are at the Commanders. Washington, uh, under Taylor Heineke, is just a different team. Taylor Heineke is 10-2-1 against the spread in his last 13 starts. He's 6-0-1. In his last seven starts. Broncos take on the Panthers in the gross game of the week. Uh, Panthers going back to Sam Darnold. You know, so let's see uh, how he does here against this Broncos defense. Ravens and Jaguars. I don't understand the love for the Jaguars. They're not a good team. Uh, Baltimore didn't look good last week. Maybe that had to do with Lamar Jackson being a little bit under the weather. Chargers taking on a Cardinals team that looked like they quit after playing in against the 49ers. And here's what I will say about the Cardinals and also the 49ers. They just played at massive elevation uh, playing in Mexico City. I worry about conditioning and fatigue the later these games go. Rams will have Bryce Perkins at quarterback against the Chiefs. Good luck to them. The Seahawks and the Raiders. Geno Smith has been great this year. I expect them to win at home against the Raiders. And then Sunday night, the Eagles and the Packers I have no faith left in Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and Rodgers did confirm he has been he has been playing with a broken thumb. Says it hasn't affected him, but what has affected him is the team just not playing good football. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at scottsonair, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you. This is 98.7 ESPN.